Well, good morning, everybody. See, the house got a little bit fuller since uh, <clears throat> since we first started with the song service. I appreciated David's reading there in Psalm 95. So we talking a little bit about that where he uh, shared, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart, as in the provocation, as in the day of temptation in the wilderness. Hopefully that's each one of our hearts today that we didn't come with a with a hard heart and that we are the sheep of his pasture. Um, I guess before we get started, let's just bow our heads for prayer and ask for the God's blessing. Yes, Father, we do thank you, God, for your faithfulness and, and goodness to us. Lord, we thank you for a beautiful day, God, and and just the, the beauty of your creation. Lord, the, the snow that fell last night and, and just the beauty of that, Lord. And, and you have made all things wonderful, God. And Lord, we just pray for your blessing upon our time here this morning. Lord, I pray for your guiding touch upon my lips, Lord, and upon the children's lesson and the second message, Father. Lord, we, we need a touch from you, Lord. I do, Lord. And, and um, just pray that uh, for your abundant grace, Lord, to, to flow down, Lord, and, and give us fresh manna from heaven today, Lord. God, we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So the title of today's message or opening is uh, Having Life More Abundantly. And I've come across this this passage oh, several times over the course of the years. And, and uh, decided to dig into what it means for us just a little bit deeper. And it comes from the uh, passage in, in John 10.10. 10. I'm sure many of you are, are familiar with it. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. So Jesus came, and we all know this, he came to give of himself. He didn't come to get something. And that comes from a heavenly perspective and not an earthly perspective. But I think we want to determine, okay, what exactly does he mean by all of that? And I think we would all understand and agree that he's not talking about um, earthly possessions 
I think that is, uh, unfortunately, that's commonly taught um, in Western Christianity that you can have whatever you set your your heart's desire on and and uh, that it's that it's okay because you're a Christian but we know that Jesus himself had no place to lay his head and in fact scripture talks about just the opposite that those who put their trust in riches and are ensnared by covetousness and material wealth, unless they repent, they'll be eternally separated from the Lord. And just a couple of scriptures here. Luke uh, twelve fifteen. you don't have to turn here. Um, he said unto them, Jesus speaking, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And Ezekiel, talking about uh, Sodom, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. Uh, Psalm 52. You can turn there if you want. We're just going to read a few verses. From there, uh, starting in verse 1, Why boastest thou thyself in mischief, O mighty man? The goodness of God endureth continually. Thy tongue deviseth mischiefs like a sharp razor, working deceitfully. Thou lovest evil more than good, and lying rather than to speak righteousness. Selah. Thou lovest all devouring words, O thou deceitful tongue. God shall likewise destroy thee forever. He shall take thee away and pluck thee out of thy dwelling place and rip thee out of the land of the living. Um, Selah. The righteous shall also see and fear and shall laugh at him. Lo, this is the man that made not God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthen himself in his wickedness. We'll stop there. Job talks about uh, being in the fullness of sufficiency. He shall be in straits. Every hand of the wicked shall come upon him. Um, Revelation 18 talks about the fall of Babylon. So there's other scriptures that we could point to, and we just we need to... Remember to take heed to those things. But what I wanted to do is spend some time, a little bit of time, looking at the context here of what Jesus is saying. And uh, so if you turn to uh, John chapter 9... We won't read the whole thing, but basically uh, what has happened here is that uh, Jesus had healed a man who was born blind. He um, 
uh, put mud in his eyes and told him to go to go wash and he did that and was healed in the pool of Siloam and then in uh, and everybody's wondering what happened to him was he really blind and uh, there's a discourse that takes place with with Jews and people that knew him and and uh, the Pharisees begin to question the man's family. And uh, we'll pick it up here in verse 19 of chapter 9 in John. So this is the Pharisees talking to, to the, this blind man's family after he's been healed because they weren't believing. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then doth now he see? And his parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But by what means he now seeth, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age, ask him. He shall speak for himself. And these words spake his parents, because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already, that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Therefore said his parents, He is of age, ask him. Then again they called the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise, we know that this man is a sinner. So this is the Jews, the Pharisees, talking about Jesus, the fact that he had healed this man. And he answered and said, the blind man said, the man that was blind, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. Then said they unto him again, what did, he, what did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and ye did not hear. Wherefore would ye hear it again? Will ye also be his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spake unto Moses, as for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. <clears throat> and the man answered and said unto them, Why, herein is a marvelous thing, that ye know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened my eyes. Now ye know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, it was not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind. If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. So at this, the Pharisees got pretty upset, and they said, They answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and thou dost teach us. And they cast him out of the synagogue. So in verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found them, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. So we'll stop. Stop there just a minute. And uh, so here the man that was blind was healed he 
he turns to Jesus and worships him. The Pharisees recognize that this man's a worshiper of Jesus and confessing Jesus, and they, they uh, uh, cast him out of the synagogue. And then in verse 39, he says, For judgment I am come into the world that they which see... Sorry. For judgment I am come into the world that they which see not might see, and that they which see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? And Jesus said unto them, If you were blind, you should have no sin. But now you say, We see, therefore your sin remaineth. And on in the chapter 10, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door of the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. So, I found this very interesting going, going through this passage that <clears throat> um, I believe Jesus, I, I think, you know, we all know what thieves and robbers are. Um, but in this context, I think he's specifically referring to the Pharisees. Um, and he is rebuking them for their unbelief and for not believing who he was. And, and that he says, now, now that you say we see, he's basically saying your guilt remains. Um, you know, they were still guilty of unbelief. They could have repented right there and said, oh, you, you healed this man. The blind man was right. Um, he couldn't have been healed unless it was of God. But they chose to, to harden their hearts and, and, uh, and to continue in their unbelief. One thing that I came across that was kind of interesting I never thought about before was in the Old Testament, you know, God set up a, a type of government for, for the people of God, but you don't really see the position of Pharisee. And so it was interesting that the, the Pharisees were really uh, usurpers of authority. They just took took authority upon themselves and it really wasn't of God. Although they thought it they thought it was. And you kind of see a reference to that in uh, John ch uh, chapter 10 verse 1 where he's saying that they, he, they entereth not in the door into the sheepfold but climbeth up some other way the same is a thief and a robber. So they took it upon themselves, and in Ezekiel talks about, um, we get a little bit more sense of their character, in Ezekiel uh, chapter 34, says, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God unto the shepherds, 
Woe be to the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? So here was a, a, a prophecy about the Pharisees and, and their, their unruly uh, attitudes toward, toward how they, they, uh, they governed Israel in their religion. And secondly, one thing we'll also see is that the Pharisees were able to retain their authority through the use of fear. And I don't know how all that worked, uh, but we kind of get a glimpse of that in uh, chapter 9, verse 22, uh, where it says these, these words spake his parents, so they were talking that his son was, bl- was blind and now he can see, go ask him, and they spake, his parents spake these words because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, that he would be put out of the synagogue. So, again, you can kind of see that they were not, the Pharisees were not of the sheepfold. I think we all, all know and understand that, but it, it all ties together pretty, pretty wonderfully. So let's pick it up again in uh, chapter 10. Uh, We'll start in verse 1 again. Uh, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. This parable spake Jesus unto them, so that would include the Pharisees standing by, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. So, and then Jesus, in verse 7, Jesus said unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. <clears throat> and I, th- I think that, um, I don't know, but that could also be a reference in the story to the blind man uh, being questioned by the Pharisees the Pharisees were trying to convince this man, ah, oh, this man's a sinner. This blind man was a sinner, and you shouldn't put your trust in him. And, and here we have Jesus talking more, more plainly um, that, that the sheep <clears throat> did not hear, hear them. They did not hear the sheep and the thieves and the robbers. And he goes on to say in verse 9, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief, <clears throat> the thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. 
and the good shepherd giveth life for his sheep. So we'll stop there. Um, So oftentimes when Jesus would tell a parable, oftentimes his disciples didn't always understand, but the Pharisees didn't understand either. And there's many people that take that, they just, uh, they take that verse, John 10, 10, and they take it out of the context of what Jesus is talking about. And like I shared earlier, uh, use it to, uh, as an excuse or uh, just a, a reason why they can have an abundance of this or an abundance of that. And even if, uh, even if people are telling people, others, that Jesus has a wonderful plan for our lives, and, and some of those things are true, but that's not what, what he is saying in this context. Um, <clears throat> so I'm just going to read a, a few things here just so I keep my, my thoughts straight. Um, it's clear in the usage of the text that the word abundantly is an adjective. So it's not, a, it's not being used as a noun. It's not abundance, but it's abundantly. It's in a, um, a, a kind of life that we can have life and that they might have it more abundantly. It's used as an adjective to describe the kind of life um, that we can have through Jesus Christ. Um, and that makes, a, that makes a big difference. If people were to look at the context of it, and, and how it's used in the scripture. So, and then what else can we, can we learn about the word abundantly? Um, here's some other ways that the same, it's the same Greek word, I thought I had it written down here. Oh, here it is, perison, which means, uh, so the word abundant in the Greek is perison, meaning exceedingly, very highly, beyond measure, more, uh, a quantity so abundant as to be considerably more than what would uh, be normally expected or anticipate. So that's a beautiful word picture, considerably more uh, than one would expect or anticipate. So just some other scriptures real quick here that, or some other words used in the scriptures that use the same Greek word. Um, some of these we already talked about more. Measure vehemently, advantage, superfluous, abundantly, exceedingly, and highly. And if you want all the references for that, you can see me after, but for the sake of time, won't go through those. Um, but it gives a beautiful picture of that word abundantly and what it's there for. So Jesus promises a life far better than what we could ever imagine. Um, there Paul in 1 Corinthians writes, but as, it, but as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. And then he writes, uh, 
In Ephesians, the Apostle Paul tells us that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that's at work in us. So those are beautiful, beautiful passages. So that's kind of a focus on the word um, abundant or abundantly. So let's take a look at another word here, and I think, I don't know, I feel like I'm just kind of scratching the surface of this verse. I think there's a lot more that we could draw out of here. Um, He says, Jesus says, I am come that they might have life. And uh, within the Gospel of John, I'll just read a few verses here. Um, John chapter 1, verse 4, in, in him, referring to Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth upon him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Uh, John chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. Jesus answered and said unto her, uh, this being the woman at the well, whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Uh, John six sixty eight. Then Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And John twelve twenty five says, He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. And then in First John. Uh, John writes in chapter 5, And this is the record that God hath given us, given to us eternal life. And this life is in his Son, and he that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you, that ye believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the Son of God. And so there's a, I mean, there's a lot in that passage, too, that we could, that we could uh, look at. Um, but eternal life is in Jesus. And we can be uh, so, so grateful for that. And, and he is the life. He's the, he's the word. He, he's everything that we need. Um, And then John 5.39, he admonishes, he says, Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. So everything in this Bible testifies, testifies of Jesus. So it's... um, When we think of eternal life, it's hard for us to, uh, because our ears have not heard, our eyes have not seen everything that God has laid out before us, um, we can only think about it in earthly terms, um, 
but from a, from a heavenly perspective, it's knowing God the Father. Um, and, you know, it's not just about being able to go to heaven, it's, which is wonderful and beautiful, but there's something here on this earth for us as well that, that, uh, um, that we can live our lives by and and he didn't uh, I don't believe that 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 statement it's um, you know I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly yes that applies to eternal but what else is there I mean there's there's, I mean, yeah, we, we want to be in heaven with the Lord, and we'll be there one day if we remain faithful to him. Um, but what, what else does this mean for us? Um, make sure I keep my notes straight here. So one of the things we, we know is we need not to worry about what we're going to have tomorrow. Uh, clothes, the material things of this world, that he will, God will supply those things. Um, Solomon, we're not going to turn there, but he had all the material blessings of the world. And uh, it was empty. And, and Paul, on the other hand, was content to uh, be, you know, he was content no matter what circumstances he found himself in. So the a true abundant life consists of an abundance of the fruit of the Spirit, Amen. love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, and um, it also consists of a life that is eternal. And because of, you know, we need to have our, our gaze set upon things that are eternal. Uh, there in Colossians, Paul admonishes us not to, or to, sorry, tells us to set our minds on things above, not on things of this earth. For we have died, he says. You know, have we, have we really died? Have I died? Um, am, am I totally surrendered in everything? And our life is now hid with Christ and God. So the other aspect of eternal or of, of uh, an abundant life, it's uh, not quite sure how to say it, but um, it's like uh, uh, the word sanctification comes to mind, or a, a, a continual process as we as we um, live our lives for the Lord. He continues to show us things in our lives, and Peter. Right talks about growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Paul talks about, you know, we, we, we look at ourselves in a mirror um, as a poor reflection, but one day we'll see God face to face and know him completely. You know, we'll no longer have the struggles and the temptations and all the different things in this life. And our abundant life will be ultimately filled when we when we reach heaven. 
So Paul recognized that he had, that though he had an abundant life, he had to, he had to press on to make it his own. Um, and he writes there in Philippians, he says, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count myself to have, sorry, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. And then he further writes, he says, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. So I kind of went through um, a, uh, I don't know if you want to call it a word search, or just to look, things that we are to abound in. It's kind of a long list, and I'm sure there's I'm sure there's other additional things, uh, but I'll just read these off to you, and if you want the references, um, I can provide those. But every single one of these has a, has a reference. Um, so things that we are to abound in. Um, grace, the abundance of grace, abun- abundance of every good work, an abundance of consolation, abound in the sufferings of Christ, Abound in hope, abundance of joy, abounding love, abounding charity, abounding in the work of the Lord. We're to have an abounding and thankful faith. Um, uh, Another verse here says, Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in diligence and in love to us. And, and abundant in rejoicing. So, and I'm sure we could take, we could spend more time studying that, but that's what I want for myself is an an abundant life, one that the Lord would be pleased with and um, and to take his words to heart. I think I'll, I'll close with that and God bless his word.